right, so if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, starting a new series this morning. And uh, I'll just add, I know normally we, we pray for one another. If there's something pressing you would like prayer for, we, the elders are happy to do so. So come find us after the service. Uh, we will gladly pray with you. It's our custom on, on Communion Sundays. We want to be available to pray with you and for you as you come and ask. But we're starting a new series, and it's going to take us a couple weeks to jump into the story because I want to just fill in some gaps that I wouldn't normally add to Daniel to help understand his, his life, his experience, uh, why he did what he did. And, and so I just want to encourage you as you're in your own understanding of the Old Testament, um, it's just helpful to remember this is a story, and it's a story that takes time to get oriented to. So if you're frustrated that you don't know the details, um, you know, the details take time. Be patient. So this morning we're going to talk about Israel in exile in Babylon. Remember, this is connected to God's bigger work in the world, and it starts with God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, he carried them to the promised land. Uh, he gave them a whole bunch of things they did not ask for. And then he gave him a king, David. And David brought in the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, and, and started the work of the temple that his son Solomon finished. The temple is the place where God dwells with his people in Jerusalem. Of course, we read this morning, Psalm 51, where David failed publicly and miserably and awfully. And then the kings after David were even worse. Uh, there's only a few bright spots. The kingdom splits. Assyria takes over the north, the ten tribes kind of disappear, and then you have Judah in the south, and then enter Babylon, and now we're in Daniel's day, and that, that, that just summarized the Old Testament. Right, in exile, right around the 6th century B.C., Daniel gets taken from his home in Jerusalem, dragged to Babylon, and that's what we're about to read, and uh, let's read it and we'll pray. This is God's word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is another word for Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. And spoken today is to us in love. Let's pray. 
Our Father and our God, we thank you for the gift of your words to us. We're not left to your, our imagination as to what you are like. You make yourself known. So I pray as we look at Daniel and his world today that you would encourage us to be faithful as Christ was faithful for us. For that, we need your spirit to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to know you, and how to, how to live well in your world. The Holy Spirit, do that so that we might follow in our Savior's footsteps as ones dearly loved, seeking to be faithful in exile here. Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the what was called the worst day and the best day of my life. That's what I gotta say her name right, Hoda Kotbe from the Today Show wrote several years ago. It was the best day and the worst day of her life. She had a routine doctor visit, biopsy, then a cancer diagnosis, and then endless doctor trips, that whole whirlwind, ending in surgery. She said, in the midst of that process, I just wanted it to be done with. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to talk about it. Just get me out of the mess. Two months later, after her surgery, Oda was on a plane, exhausted, after doing some work, so she's body's still recovering. All she wanted to do to sleep was sleep, and she got stuck next to one of those seatmates in the plane that just wanted to talk. <laughs> and she said, you know, at first I was really irritated, but I didn't know that this was going to be a conversation that would forever change my outlook. And as our conversation turned to my cancer, Hoda said, I hope when you get off the plane, you don't go around telling everyone, well, I sat next to a girl with breast cancer. He said, and listen to this, he said, cancer is a part of you. It's like getting married or working at NBC. You can either put stuff in your pockets and take it with you to the grave, or you can use your story to help somebody. Don't hog your journey. It's not just for you. Don't hog your journey. It's not just for you. Which is a, a great way to look at the story of Daniel. I think one of the main applications that we're going to see over and over again don't waste your exile. Your exile is not just for you. God has a plan. God has a purpose. To use Daniel and his three friends to be a blessing to their neighbors. But that will tell us, your story is not just for you, God. The author of your story has a plan for our exile, our story, plans to do good to us, and then through us to do good to others. That's the pattern we're going to see over and over again in Daniel in different ways. Um, and so I want to take a couple weeks to introduce this idea of how not to waste your exile. As we look at Daniel chapter 1 and parts of Jeremiah that will fill in the gaps. Because Daniel embodies what God told his people to do while they were stuck in Babylon. That he told them what happened in Jeremiah. So let's, let's get oriented to the book and... Daniel may be new to, to some of you, for others it's familiar, but my first point is more of a question mark. Maybe you've heard this, dare to be a Daniel. It's a hymn, and I think I printed some of the lyrics for you in your outline. Right? But Daniel is famous. Um, our favorite stories are found in Daniel. you got Daniel and the lion's den. Kids love this story. Right? you get the fiery furnace, the three friends who went into this blazing hot fire and came out with their eyebrows, not even a singe. There's other great stories about Nebuchadnezzar, the 
king of the world at that time. He falls into madness. His hair grows. Uh, his fingernails become like talons. He eats grass with the cattle, right? The pressure of, of being human turns him into a beast. We're going to talk about that. And then you got all kinds of dreams. I don't know what kind of dreams you had last night, if they were uh, apocalyptic or not. <laughs> right? But Daniel has a lot of these apocalyptic, these vivid visions and dreams that are giving God's perspective on reality. We're going to talk about that. They're like living graphic novels showing you what God is up to. Maybe in light of that, that's how you've experienced this book. I mean, when I was at Houghton College taking my introduction to the Bible stuff, that Daniel was right there taught alongside Revelation. What's going to happen at the end? Maybe that's your experience. And so you've got your newspaper out along with the Bible trying to figure out what's next. But one of the, the key points that I think I'm going to is really helpful is Daniel shaped Jesus' biblical imagination. If you want to want to know where Jesus got, that the title he used most for himself comes straight from Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. I'm the son of man. He didn't call himself the Messiah. He said, I'm the son of man, and that comes straight from Daniel 7, this picture of a, a conquering king, a king that, that God had appointed for a very specific time. So if you want to put all this stuff together, trying to put together the stories and the dreams, Daniel is a good news book about God, who is in charge, who promises to set up a future kingdom. A future king, who we know now is Jesus. Right? So it, it's just helpful to meditate on this, right? Daniel is a theological story. So it is somewhat about there to be a Daniel. Here's some of the lyrics. I've printed, printed them for you if you want to read along. Right? But here's... This is what most kids get from Sunday school, and this is what I remember from Sunday school, right? There to be a Daniel. When, when you see his courage, his faithfulness, his willingness to suffer for God's sake, right? We're taught, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to be faithful, even if it costs me. So the hymn goes, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command. Honor them, the faithful few. All hail to Daniel's band. Another verse, many giants, great and tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth with fall, met by Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Is that all there is to Daniel? Be bold with your faith, go public with it. I think there's more. I think there's more. We're going to talk about that. But on the one hand, I do want you to see Daniel is here in the scriptures to teach us how to be faithful when life gets hard. Jesus said it. Luke 24. The Bible's all about me. And he, when he described the, the Old Testament, he divided it into three parts. This is how he was taught the Bible. There's the law, the prophets, the Psalms, or the writings. And where you find Daniel is not in the prophets telling people you need to shape up. It's in the practical section of the Old Testament. Uh, God loves me, how then should I live part of the Old Testament? It's in the writings. It's in that part where when they put the Bible and constructed it and put it together under the influence of the Spirit, it was designed to say, this is going to inspire people to love God, love their neighbor, be faithful, even when life is difficult. 
on the one hand, yeah, I think there's part of this. You dare to be a Daniel. Practical. You find it right in our text. And it describes Daniel in verse 4 as skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning. Right? That's, that's, that's language straight from Proverbs. He's somebody who's embodying a lot. He's, he's wise. He's figured out how to live well in God's world, even when life stinks. Right? So, on the one hand, yes, Daniel is very much here for you and I to be encouraged to don't waste our exile as those loved by God even if it costs us. But there's more. Because there's a whole chapter where Daniel's not even there, right? His friends are about to be are thrown into a furnace. Where's Daniel? What's he doing? Drinking tea in another room? Just watching? We don't, we don't know. That's part of the point. He's not the only faithful one. It's not just about him. And then you got the dreams and the visions and the apocalyptic imagery, right? So we gotta, we're going to have to tackle that here in, in the coming weeks. But what do you do with those? Do you just want to focus on what's coming in the future? I think this is, this is what the apocalyptic parts of this book are for. When you get confused, I'm just, gonna, I'm just trying to give you a lay of the land and put down some flags and where to, where to hold on to. When you get to these really weird dreams, right, you've got to remember the simplicity behind it. This is what Daniel needed to hear. God is on his throne. That's what it's about. God is sovereign over all things, even though you're not where you want to be, and now you're stuck in that one. I could quote my, my dad when he, he taught this. He said, the sovereign God has a plan to right all wrongs. That's what these visions are about. To overcome all human evil. Every last ounce of evil. You know that. That's what God is up to in the world, knowing that every cruelty will be reckoned with, every misery, every sorrow, every will be dealt with by our sovereign good God. That provides hope to deal with today's troubles. That's the point. Apocalyptic imagery does tell you a little bit about what's to come, but if it doesn't help you now, that's the point. That's what motivates Daniel's faithfulness. Then you're missing the overall point. Because this, this is practical literature. This is, this is the stuff we love. How do you live? How do you follow God and do the right thing? Right. We dig a little deeper. Right. So dare to be a Daniel. This is teaching us how to live, how to be faithful. That's that's part of what what's here. And we got to get ourselves accustomed to what life in exile is like. You know, I want that to become a good, helpful word to understand what it means to be a Christian. The New Testament calls us exiles as well. And Peter. Right. But the the story for Daniel starts with a Jewish king. Chapter 1, verse 1, Jehoiakim, he's conquered by the bad guys, Babylonians, about the 6th century B.C. This is the worst of times if you're a, a Hebrew follower of God. For Daniel and his friends, for sure, I mean, they survive a siege. They're ripped, they're young, they're teenagers. They're ripped from their home, dragged through the stinking hot desert, treated like property. Now they're away from what's familiar, from what's comfortable, and they're forced in Babylon to live far from home, wondering if God has forgotten me or not. That's life in exile. Life in Babylon, to quote Narnia, it's always winter and never Christmas. It may be hot and sunny in Babylon in the actual geography, but it felt gloomy. 
Department of Hope. Right? So Babylon, we think it's a bad news place. That's one of the, the places to get in your head. Babylon is a bad news place. Bad news people who've done, caused an awful lot of harm. So we get to learn from Daniel, teenager. Right? Teenagers, you know who you are. Daniel functionally gets enrolled in a Babylonian public school where there's almost no other believers, alone, feeling like he's the only one. Got a couple, got a couple friends that we hear about. Right? This is hard. So we're going to learn. We get to follow Daniel from a teenager all the way up through 70 years. God is faithful. Daniel is surrounded by people who don't know the God of the Bible. At best, they don't care. At worst, they're openly hostile. Sound like our world? Tim Keller points it out that Daniel is a book that gives guidance to those who live in a world where people believe all kinds of things. They're, they're at best indifferent to our faith, or at worst, positively hostile faith in the one true God, the God of the Bible. Sounds very familiar. Why are they there? Why are they stuck in Babylon? You can give the human answer that kingdoms did what kingdoms did and their collateral damage and war. The Bible gives perspective on that. It's not just bad luck. It's our view of God is sovereign. That he rules over the good days and the bad days. You read it right in Daniel chapter 1. God gave them into the hand of Daniel is in Babylon, experiencing bad news because God wanted him to. I don't like that message, but that's what it says. I mean, this is what was warned back in Deuteronomy. It means God, who is slow to anger, said, this is what will happen if you don't keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because you did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, the Lord's going to bring a nation from far away. He's going to swoop down like an eagle, speaking a language you don't understand, and they're going to besiege the cities and towns that I'm giving you, which is exactly what Daniel 1 tells you what happened. When it says they besieged, that's, that's code for, hey, God said this was going to happen. He's in charge of history. What happened then is Nebuchadnezzar takes the, the royals, the youth, the leaders back to Babylon to learn this language they didn't understand. Daniel was in Babylon when Jerusalem was then raised to the ground, which Jim, Pastor Jim preached on for lamentations and immediate aftermath. But you get an idea that Daniel is a person, really young. Life is not how he wants it to be. Life's a mess. Like Odo, he said, I just want to get out of it. That's how we would feel if we were in his shoes. There's no escape. We are now in exile in Babylon. One writer puts it this way. It's not simply being homeless. It's knowing you have a home that's been taken over by enemies. Exile is not being without roots. It's having deep roots that have been plucked up. And all your roots are dangling, writhing in pain, exposed to a cold, jeering world, longing to be put back in. Knowing where you belong, you can't get back. 
experiencing that the worst day, wanting to go back to the best days. That's exile. How do you respond? This is where, where this gets really helpful and, and hard to hear, because we're going to read one of the most emotionally raw prayers in the Bible. But when you feel like a minority and things aren't going your way, I mean, Psalm, the Psalms give us emotions. How to respond to that? This is how Israel responded. Psalm 137. I'm, I'm warning you, right? This is, this is raw. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. But it says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered home, we remembered Zion. Our captors demanded we sing songs of Zion, but we refused. We hung up our lyres on the trees. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? At the end of it, it says, Lord, remember those who taunted us, laughed at our suffering. The idea. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them on the rock. It's hard to even read. But we know that's what happened. Historically, that's what they would do. So the psalmist, that's what we do when we're in exile. We get angry. We weep. The psalmist prays, God, punish them. They're processing their Holocaust-level pain. God, punish them. I'm angry. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Make them suffer as I have suffered. This is what's going to make Daniel so amazing. It's how we because it wouldn't be hard to imagine a Jewish believer saying back then, forgive them, love them, serve them. What they've done is unforgivable. Blessed shall be the one who pays them back. If this bothers you, I'm join the club. Right? But notice what it's not saying. It's not saying we're going to rise up and get vengeance. They're leaving vengeance in the Lord's hands praying for justice. That's, that's how they're responding. And one of the surprising things about Daniel is he's moved past this. God has carried him through his anger. Right? I mean, what you don't get any sense in the book of Daniel on, on, on Daniel's rage against his enemies as he served. You know, it might have been there. We don't know. It's not recorded for us. Instead of contempt and hatred for his neighbors, there's long-suffering. When they change his name, we never hear of a protest. He goes with it. Instead of avoiding his enemies of just, saying, I just got to suck this up and run away and do my own thing, and wait for God to smoke my enemies. That's what I really want to happen. No. He serves Nebuchadnezzar well. That's what we're going to see. And he serves the Lord without compromise. I think the apocalyptic imagery helped Daniel. That's what it's about. Apocalyptic imagery and visions and dreams that we're going to look at, they are there for those who are weak, who are suffering, who are oppressed, who need that hope clear and loud. God is in charge, and he will write this one day. So Daniel shows that there is a way through your anger and my anger at our circumstances without avoiding the raw lamenting and emotions that, that 
that come out that you didn't even know were in there and you're wondering, should a good Christian feel this way? You can't write the Psalms out of the scriptures. So how do you do that? This is some of the other perspective from the Old Testament. Enter Jeremiah 24 when God says, guess what? To all those who are in Babylon, it's better for you to be there than in Jerusalem. It's better for you to be in exile than at home. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm not making this up because I wouldn't write it that way. He's saying God wants to do good for you. You'll get to know God better in Babylon while you're a minority, while you're out of your comfort zone, while you're out of your safe bubble. You will get to know the Lord better in Babylon. So Jeremiah 24 tells this story. There's two baskets of figs. The very good tasty ones, right, the ones you want to feast on. And then the other useless ones, the rancid, nasty, get your gag reflex going figs. And, and Jeremiah 24, verse 5, 4 and 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, said Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, like these good figs, I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from Jerusalem, this place, this land of the Chaldeans, the Babylon. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Those stuck in Jerusalem, I'm going to treat them like the bad figs cannot be. It's not going to be good for them. So here's, here's where I think this is a helpful interpretive lens to understand Daniel. God promises to do good for those who are suffering in Babylon, Daniel and his friends. This helps give you a different perspective on exile. It seems like it's all bad. Life stinks. According to Jeremiah 24, exile is a place where God is going to do his work to build up their faith, to do good to their neighbors. Daniel will be and is blessed in Babylon. That's part of the story. As promised right here in Jeremiah 24. What Babylon meant for evil, God is going to use to do good to Daniel and his friends for Babylon. What, is, what will he do? What is the good he's going to do? And this is how we're going to end, and it's going to take us to the table here. Now, I'm giving you a lot of information because this is, whenever you read the Bible, it's cross-cultural experience, right? There's a lot of distance and time, and, and I get the privilege of thinking about it more than, more than most. And there's more to it, so come back next week. But if I'm supposed to dare to be a Daniel, to not waste my exile, to know God, when I feel so alone, where in the world do you get the resources to do that? Right? When anger and grief are so consuming, where do you get the resources? And here's the promise that we read in Jeremiah 24. It comes through knowing the Lord and knowing that you belong to him. That the covenant that I will be your God and you will be my people I will be with you. It's God's gift to, to us, even in exile. 
That's Jeremiah 24, 7. I, God, will give to them a heart that knows I am the Lord. Because you know the Lord, that you want to imitate him, and you gain the wisdom and understanding to grow into a person of deep faith, conviction, to know when to speak, when to be silent, to dare to be a Daniel. So how are you doing? 2020 has, has been a wild ride. I feel like your time in exile, so to speak, has helped you get to know the Lord better. Or are you stuck back in Psalm 137? I mean, Psalm 137 is recorded for us to get you to lean into God's sovereignty, to cry out for help when your circumstances are not what you want them to be trust that he will respond. And as, as one commentator put it, Psalm 137 rightly says, struggle with this, someone must pay for my suffering. Somebody must pay for the evil done to me. The Babylonians in that prayer is saying, they must pay. I want them to pay. They deserve it. But what the Babylonians couldn't see, what Daniel and the people of Israel couldn't see that one day God would pay through his own suffering the Babylonian-like sins and the Israelite sins. Derek Kidner writes that it's not open to us to ignore these things, to ignore the Psalms or reject their cries. Their purpose is to give you a place to cry out for help to articulate the cry of all those who suffer even though they're doing good. The cry of the righteous. So where as Christians do we have the option to stay angry? Because we stand on the other side of the cross. We are called ministers of reconciliation. And this is a day of good news. God will right all wrongs. Jesus paid for that with his life. So as Christians, we, we don't call down judgment on our enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those who we disagree with. We work towards reconciliation, looking for shalom, peace. So to bring it down to us, God has not put us in here to run away from our neighbors. We're going to talk more about this next week. We're to look down on them for believing differently than us. We're to stay angry because they're in power and we are not. The same sovereign God that put Daniel in Babylon is the same sovereign God who put us here in this particular community to not hog our journey, but to share it with our neighbors, one another, all because we know the Lord. And as you get to know the Lord who sent Jesus to die for us when we were yet his enemies, that's what's going to start to move you through your anger, from your towards faithfulness. Because you know how he treated you and we got so much better than you did. Which means you have to know the Lord. And this is such an intimate promise. This is To know the Lord is covenant language. It's married language, right? Adam knew Eve and they had a child. I mean, this is knowing you inside and out that you know what you would do if God was right next to you. You have this knowing. God promises in Jeremiah 24, that's what I'm going to do, and that's what happened to Daniel. He was blessed with this knowing in Babylon. 
even though he was far from home. And for us, we have a better promise, a better covenant. How God gives to us this knowing, this knowing. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. This is my body broken for you. And then Jesus points back to the promises given to those in exile in Jeremiah. He says, this cup which is poured out for you, remission of sin, is the new covenant in my blood. And the new covenant, an intimate relationship, we get to know the Lord. The promise from Jeremiah 31 when God said, yeah, what happened before wasn't working. Didn't love me. They didn't know me. But when the new covenant, from the least of them to the greatest, no one will have to teach them because I will make myself known. And I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's the promise. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what we have right now. Jesus' death on the cross is how you come to know the Lord and to be known by him. And that equips you with the wisdom we need to live well amidst neighbors who definitely think differently than us because they don't know the Lord. We'll learn about why and so we can do good to them. That's next week. But you got this picture. Daniel suffered exile under the curse judgment of God and that led him to Babylon where he was blessed. Jesus was cursed by God, went through the hell of judgment we deserve in Jerusalem. He was at the place where he should have been most at home. Yet he was cursed so we could be blessed, that we might know we belong to our sovereign God. One day he will wipe away our tears as he deals with all the cruelty and misery. This is God's plan to do us good. So, part one, you walk away, say, what did, what did you learn from Daniel? Don't hog your journey. Don't waste your exile. Because where you are at right now, where I am at right now, that you get to know the sovereign God, the same God that Daniel worshipped, that, that's how you don't waste it. You get to know the Lord. Know that he is with you. Even now because of what we're about to taste. Body broken for you, his shed blood, he rose again on the third day. If he remembered you then when you're at your worst, he's not going to remember, forget you even on your best days. He is faithful. I sign off with this. One of the common words used to describe Daniel to encourage him over and over again says, oh, you, Daniel, greatly loved by your God. How much more do we have that as those who have been fully adopted in Christ by the Heavenly Father? He says, you are mine. You are known. Trust him. And as you get to know him, he'll lead you through your anger, cast your grumbling towards faithfulness, and equip you to share your journey. God with you. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, as we come to the table here in a few moments, uh, we thank you for Jesus who was faithful. 
in exile. He came from heaven to earth to do what we couldn't do, forgive our tormentors, to forgive his tormentors, also that we might receive your radical welcome and grace. I pray in the coming weeks you would use our studies in Daniel to make yourself known, that we might be a people who love you and do good to our neighbors, whether they believe like us or not. So make Christ known to us, that through us, Jesus might be known across the street and around the world. Reveal yourself and comfort us as we eat at your table today. In Jesus